Good afternoon. If you have your Bibles, you can be turning to the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah, and we'll primarily be there this afternoon. Some people ask sometimes what the toughest job of the preacher is, and I think sometimes it's trying to preach when everybody's mind is somewhere else. I know we're all concerned about the weather, so uh, we don't uh, uh, certainly have to go very long, or we don't want to rush through it and try to find that balance. So I want to share a few words with you from Isaiah. I appreciate Charles leading that song. I know it's always uncomfortable, maybe when you've not led one, even if you've heard it a bunch in your lifetime, uh, a little uh, hard to do, and so I appreciate him leading that because those, of course, are the words of Isaiah. Uh, and those should be the words of us as well as we think about uh, being sent out and going into the field and going to spread the good news. Appreciate Charles' song selection uh, all day today, of course, going along with the lessons. Appreciate Don's prayer. Uh, for those of you who are unaware, most of you were here through lunch, uh, but he mentioned our new sister, and that, of course, is Miss Karen uh, Har. I had to ask her her last name. Uh, I told her uh, she's been on the roll for a little bit because she's been coming with Jeff so much. It's Karen. I didn't know her last name. Uh, so she doesn't like to draw lots of attention, but, of course, as Don mentioned it, uh, those who weren't here for lunch, we uh, had the opportunity this afternoon to sit down for a minute, and actually uh, she asked Jeff to do it, and he, of course, was more than willing, and he baptized her into Christ for the remission of our sins, and we're just really thankful for that, and it's a good day, certainly with that. Uh, and so we appreciate you being here and the chance to study uh, the book of Isaiah this afternoon for just a few moments. If you've been in class on Sunday morning here in the auditorium, we have been looking at the book of Isaiah. It's going to be a two-part series, and of course there's not a lot of background, and so what I would like for us to do in the few minutes we have together this afternoon is to consider some details, maybe that you've never thought of before, or some background, general overview of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is usually considered the first major prophet. If you're unfamiliar with that term, uh, we use the term major and minor prophets. That's one of the ways that we, in fact, if I'll back up, uh, you can't make it out probably on the screen, but the books are colored um, by sections of scripture that we usually turn them into. Uh, it is the green books kind of on the middle shelf to the left there that are called the major prophets and then the books to the right in blue on the middle shelf are the minor prophets. And what we mean by that is simply that the major prophets are longer, they are bigger. There's no designation in that uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel are better or they had better information, but it's just simply that they are longer. And uh, we're going to get to the length of Isaiah in just a few moments, but as we think about uh, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, all those are minor prophets because of their length. So Isaiah is the first of the major prophets. He is sometimes referred to as the statesman prophet uh, for various reasons, kind of being that it is one of the longer ones. There are some uh, distinct aspects about the book of Isaiah and his uh, writing and what he was doing. He's also sometimes called, or the book is called, the Dean of the Prophets. Uh, I heard it explained this way, one reason why he is called the dean of the prophets, and this kind of goes along with statesmen, I guess, in a sense, uh, but the book of Isaiah is filled with some of the most eloquent and amazing Hebrew in all of the Old Testament. Now, I am not a Greek scholar. I am definitely not a Hebrew scholar. Don't uh, know much about it. I've learned a bit about Greek over the years, um, but they say, those who study this and know, say that the book of Isaiah in the original language, in the Hebrew, is filled with some of the most eloquent, amazing Hebrew that you can read. Uh, the statesman prophet, I just, it kind of came back to my mind again, but it may have to do with his lineage, um, that his dad uh, was a descendant of one of the kings, and so that may be part of the reason why he's called uh, the statement, statesman prophet as well. The book of Isaiah is written by Isaiah. Uh, now that is one thing that we usually talk about because for some people that seems very obvious, but for others uh, there are people who bear the name critic, 
uh, who will um, go about scripture sometimes and question things or, or really study in detail some of the things that go along. You notice that it's the same way that it's usually written for our book of the month study. Human is in italics, uh, is italicized. The reason for that, of course, is that the author of Isaiah ultimately is God by the Holy Spirit. But God, speaking by the Holy Spirit, spoke by the, the prophet, by the mouth, and also by the pen, of course, of Isaiah. And Isaiah is the human author of the book. Now, it wasn't really until just a few years ago. I, I didn't get an exact date, but I even think it's like, you know, maybe 80s, 90s even, 1980s, 1990s, that people came along and started disputing that maybe Isaiah had multiple authors. And it said, one reason why that's stated is because of the prophecy do you remember last week in our Sunday morning lesson, we talked about prophecy for just a moment when we talked about God's word, and we talked about the timing of prophecy, and how it's not the same thing as me standing outside and saying, oh, it's going to snow today, when it's already raining and it's already cold, and then it starts snowing. The prophecy, of course, of the Bible is sometimes hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, before something would occur. And so some people rationalize the prophecy of Isaiah by saying, well, you know what? Isaiah wrote some of it. But somebody else came along later and wrote about these prophecies after they had happened, and they called them prophecy and linked them with Isaiah. But that's just simply not the case. And one of those reasons is because of the fact that Jesus and the apostles even speak of Isaiah. And we're going to give the reference in just a moment. If you have your bulletin in front of you, you'll see a reference to the number of times. We'll get there in just a minute. But Jesus quotes Isaiah. The New Testament apostles, the apostles quote Isaiah and they attribute it to Isaiah. It's one of those things like we were talking about earlier this morning about understanding the Bible. Let's not overthink it and make it too hard. Jesus is quoting it and attributing it to Isaiah. So yes, the human author of the book of Isaiah is Isaiah. One thing that we don't talk about sometimes when it comes to the prophets is the contemporaries. Now, this is one of those studies, we have had charts on the screen before in our Bible class about the kings and the prophets and the overlap of the Old Testament. I, I've, I've admitted to some of you before, I don't have a problem admitting it, but, but it was much later in life before I even grasped all of that. I don't know that I took an Old Testament class in college at Fried Hardeman about um, the kings and the, the divided kingdom and all that. I don't recall, but it, it was much later that I began to really situate the kingdoms and the prophets and that kind of thing. So it's, it can be hard to get into in a very brief lesson. But his contemporaries, which you'll recognize these names, Micah was a contemporary who was preaching in the southern kingdom. That's what that SK stands for, is the southern kingdom. And then Amos and Hosea were speaking and prophesying in the northern kingdom at the same time. So it's just another one of those things to try to encourage you when you open your Bible and if you picked up one of our Bible reading plans that is chronological, you'll find that they're not in the same order as they are as you open your Bible. And so, yes, Micah and Amos and Hosea should be read around the same time of Isaiah if you're trying to do it chronologically as far as the Bible goes. Isaiah the man was dedicated to his task. Uh, I don't know that I put this in your notes, but I think it's worth noting here. Isaiah was intensely devoted to his task, and his task was doing God's will. I don't want to rehash everything that we have said in here on Sunday morning. Some of you haven't been a part of that, so I understand. But we have covered already Isaiah chapter 6 and verse number 8 with the, the vision that he has there, the heavenly vision of, G, excuse me, of God on the throne. And in verse 8, he says, Here am I, send me. 
And we've talked about the dedication that that took. That Isaiah even knew that, you know what? This is a really hard task. Have you ever avoided a hard task before? I mean, I certainly have. Maybe it's something around the house or something that needs to be done. You think, you know what? I'll just save that for later. That's going to be really hard. It's going to entail a lot of work. Isaiah knew what he was getting into in a sense. He knew the children of Israel had a history of being unfaithful, that they would not listen to God. And so most of us would say, you know what, Isaiah? It wasn't just a difficult task. It was pretty near impossible. I mean, why? And and you know what? We even think about that today. Some people say, well, why would anybody want to become a preacher? Have you watched the Internet lately? Have you been on television? It's a lost cause. Why would you spend time trying to share the gospel? But, of course, like Isaiah, I don't claim to be like Isaiah. I don't know any preacher that would. Uh, but, but you can kind of feel that way, that it's a very difficult task. But Isaiah was dedicated. And more so than the preacher, that the preacher is sort of equivalent with Isaiah or anything, it's the call that all of us face, honestly, right? As Christians, we are all priests. We are all people who are serving God, and we should all be going uh, for, striving for that task. But Isaiah was intensely devoted to his task. You know, his answer was there in Isaiah 6 when God says, Whom shall I send? At the beginning of verse 8, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? You know what Isaiah didn't do that some of us would do? Start looking around. Are you talking to me? I mean, surely there's somebody else. There's somebody better than me, right? Is there anybody else going to raise their hand? Isaiah was devoted. The man was devoted to his task, and he said, Here am I, send me. And that should be our cry as well as Christians today. Let's go a little bit further and talk about Isaiah the man and his lifestyle. He had a wife. His wife was a prophetess, according to chapter 8 and verse number 3. And now that is, uh, some people, you know, get caught up on, on that, hung up a little bit on what that means, and that may be a, a different discussion for a different time. But, but prophetess, uh, they weren't always teachers in the same way as uh, prophets weren't always holding this level of authority. We think about that our women, our ladies sometimes today, even though God has given certain roles uh, that, that people should hold, he's also, our ladies are certainly teachers. His wife was a prophetess, and we may not have all the details of that here Uh, But then you see uh, that that's what her uh, role was. You also see that he has a son. In chapter 7, in verse number 3, it mentions that his son's name is uh, Sheer Jashub. And his name means a remnant shall return. A remnant shall return. So even his sons, uh, both his sons, we'll get to the other one in just a second. But both of his sons' names had to do with his work, with his task. Sheer Jashub meant uh, the, name, the name meant a remnant shall return. As we think about that Isaiah is prophesying that the people are going to be carried away into captivity, there would be, of course, a remnant that would return. Now, his second son is mentioned in chapter 8 in verse number 1. If you have your Bible, you can look there. Uh, I know that I would have a challenge, as I always do here, but his name was Meher Shalal Hashbaz. Chapter 8 and verse number 1, that was his second son, which if you have your outline in front of you, one of the interesting facts about Isaiah is that it contains the longest name and the longest word in the Bible, and that is the name of Isaiah's son there. And if you miss the spelling, you can go to chapter 8, verse uh, 1 there. But Mayor Shalal Hashbaz was Isaiah's other son, and that name meant to make haste to the spoil or to fall speedily upon the prey. Once again, having to do with the prophecies that he was giving, what the people were doing, and how they were going to uh, be taken captive. 
all these things. Both of his sons uh, had names that went along with that. And so this is a little bit about Isaiah the man and his family and his sons in particular there. As we think about the, uh, again, about the book of Isaiah, it is quoted 43 times in the New Testament, 43 times in the New Testament, and that is more than all the other prophets combined. When I, tell you that I, when I told you that Isaiah was the author and that that is important because he was quoted a bunch by Jesus and the apostles, he was quoted 43 times, and that is more than all the other prophets in the New Testament combined. Now, if my reading is correct, and I always, you know I always do my best. I don't want to say something incorrect. If you ever find something that I say that is incorrect, please let me know. By all means, I would love to, to try to correct that and fix that. If I have my numbers correct, I think that Isaiah being quoted 43 times is second to the book of Psalms. But, of course, the Psalms are not prophets. They're not, uh, that's not a prophet. But he's quoted the most of all the prophets and quoted more than all the others combined. But Psalms is quoted more overall in the New Testament. Uh, but that is something that is important. So this is a, a great book to study. I think it's why they did it for our Sunday morning class, the uh, Gospel Advocate series that we, we use. I think it's why they made it two studies. We'll come back after a while and cover the second part. Because also with your notes there, you'll notice that Isaiah is often called the little Bible. Well, why is that? Isaiah has 66 chapters. The Bible has 66 books. And there's even a breakdown. I'm going to give you an outline in just a moment. I know you don't have a lot of room in your bulletin if you're using that there. Uh, you don't always have a lot of room to make extra notes that I give you. Um, but Isaiah is called the little Bible because it has 66 chapters. Like the Bible has 66 books, it also breaks down into the same way as the Old and the New Testament. So here's you a brief outline. And if you're writing all this down, it's a two-parter, all right, broken into two sections. Number one, chapters 1 through 39, which deals with the corruption of the nation and the coming punishment. Uh, we appreciate Jerry, of course, Corbin, uh, teaching this morning. He and Charles teach our, the class here in the auditorium. Appreciate Jerry's teaching this morning. Uh, Jerry had a hard time a little bit because, you know, it's not exactly the most encouraging news. You're right. We talked about fires. We talked about the people being punished. We talked about a lot of negative things. Jerry did a great job with the material. I, I don't mean to say otherwise, but it's a difficult task to preach about this part because it's very discouraging. The nation was corrupt. The people would not listen. And Isaiah is telling them there is punishment coming. You're going to be punished for what you have done. And, and we mentioned this briefly this morning. That's discouraging for some people. They think, well, why is God so hateful? Why is he so mean? But as we made the statement in class, God is simply wanting obedience. And whether it's the children of Israel or people today, he wants obedience. Now, back to the little Bible for just a minute. If you look at chapter 39, chapter 39 is a pretty good uh, summation in a little bit of the Old Testament speaking about some of these things. Um, and so it kind of concludes that section, and it fits the same way that the Old Testament has 39 uh, books. So the first 39 chapters make a good break as well. That leads us to then our second part of an outline of the book of Isaiah, which is chapters 40 through 66, which deals with the consolation and the coming Messiah. Of course, by consolation, it's referring to Christ, the coming Messiah, Christ. It breaks down the same way, and just like we said just a moment ago, this time, 
at the end, chapter 66, deals with the New Testament. And not doesn't deal with it, but it has similar tones to it, I guess, if you will, or, or kind of sums it up and, and is a great uh, bookend to this little Bible, if you will. If we think about Isaiah, this outline gives us a great thought because we think of two things. Number one, his prophecy, his detailed, or not his prophecy, excuse me, but his preaching. His preaching to the, to the Old Testament, to the children of Israel, telling of their corruption, telling of their punishment. But the second thing we think of when we think about the book of Isaiah is the prophecy and the coming Christ. In fact, some people, we've kind of given several names for Isaiah, some people also call Isaiah the fifth gospel or the gospel account of Isaiah. Now, nobody's trying to be blasphemous or irreverent or anything, but it is interesting that Isaiah speaks so much to Jesus. And that, this is where our lesson began this morning. Uh, Jerry started us off talking about the names of Christ, a wonderful counselor, prince of peace, all those things that are listed there are so wonderful to encourage us about the coming Messiah. And so really, that's two of the main purposes of the book of Isaiah. Go back to this outline for just a moment. One purpose of the book of Isaiah was to rebuke the sins of the people and call them to repentance. It, once again, is that not what preachers are striving to do today? Preachers are not perfect. They're not better than other people in, a, in that kind of sense. But we're trying to open up the word of God help people see their sins, and then call them to repentance. That is one purpose of the book of Isaiah to the children of Israel. But the second purpose, or another purpose we might say, of the book of Isaiah is the glorious hope of the coming Messiah. The glorious hope of the coming Messiah. And to think about the prophecies, how those prophecies that prove that God is God, that Jehovah is the God, all of these little G-gods, all of these little idols, all of these things that the people would worship, they're nothing compared to the God of heaven. Jehovah God who can give these prophecies and they be correct, so timely, so perfect, so correct. It must be from God. And then God is speaking, of course, of the coming Messiah. So two lessons here, uh, two points, two lessons, and then um, the lesson will be yours. Well, before we say that, let me, let me just mention one other thing I saw in my notes here. Um, one thing we sometimes strive to do is mention Jesus in the book. You know, we've talked about Jonah, we've talked about, uh, you know, the Psalms, we've talked about all these Old Testament books, and we try to look for maybe a moment where Jesus is mentioned. Uh, we said this morning in our class that the Old Testament, all of it, is pointing the way toward Jesus coming. And so there's a sense in which we touch on Jesus, and we usually try to point that out. However, for the purpose of this lesson, I didn't try to do that because you see there's so many different occasions where the names of Jesus are mentioned, where these prophecies are mentioned about his crucifixion, about him being like a lamb led before the slaughter, all of those things. So there was no need to spend a lot of time digging into that uh, for our lesson here, but certainly Isaiah points towards Christ coming. All right, two lessons here, and then this lesson will be yours. Number one, God sees the future as clearly as we see the present. This is really hard to explain because, you know, in a sense, because we can't tell the future. We, we can't prophesy uh, like some of these men were able to do uh, with God leading them and telling them exactly what to, to prophesy. But God sees the future as clearly as we see the present. That's hard for us to wrap our minds around. 
it's difficult to understand because we can't see the future because things sometimes come along that frustrate us and they get us down, but it's true. The God of heaven sees the future as clearly as we see the present. What he asks us to do is to be faithful, to put our trust in him, to understand that no matter what comes, that good can come of it, that he is in control. Think about the children of Israel again for just a second. Go all the way back to Egypt, to the book of Exodus, as they are being beaten, as they're being put to work, to task, and they're under such labor, and it's so hard. Think about them coming out of that, being saved, and, and, and the ten plagues and coming out of that. Think about then them turning from God and, and all the things that happened from that time to when Isaiah is prophesying. Think about what they learned. Uh, think about what they didn't learn because sometimes they didn't do a good job at realizing that God was in control. But all along, there is this point, there is this mention of the Messiah coming. There's this mention of good things that are coming, and they just have to put their trust in God. Folks, the same thing is true for us. We don't know what lies ahead of us when we lose loved ones, when we have difficulties with our job or our financial situation, sickness, death, our families. It's hard, but we never, we can't see it. We never quite know, but, but God has a plan. That plan can sometimes include our suffering, not that he necessarily causes that in, in the way that sometimes he interacted with the Old Testament, in the Old Testament with people. But, but we will suffer. We will face hard times. But God is in control. He sees the future. And we're thankful for that, especially as we look back at the children of Israel, their fall into captivity, their return, the coming Messiah, and God working through all of that. Uh, we realize how omniscient he is and how wonderful that is and can be comforting for us. Uh, number two, as far as just particular lessons for you, special people, you see it in quotation marks there, but a special people status does not exempt any nation. It does not exempt any individual from God's laws or from obedience. Special people status does not exempt people any nation, any kind of particular person from obedience to God. You know, one problem with the children of Israel is that they claimed special people status. And they were God's own special people. But it didn't mean that they didn't have to be obedient. In fact, that's one of the comforting things to us that we can learn from this is that God is just and he desires obedience. He requires obedience of us. And if we are faithful to that, then we are his own special people. But you don't get a free pass just because of a one-time decision. You don't get a free pass just because you were born into a certain family, which, of course, was the case of the Jews for a time uh, when, when they were God's special people. There was a time when that was the case, but no more. God desires all men everywhere to come to repentance. God wants to welcome everyone into his family. Anyone can read and understand, as we have said, even the last two Sunday mornings. But that is exactly what we must do. Outside of that situation that we touched on this morning of some kind of mental, uh, mental illness or mental trouble, you know, someone who is un not capable uh, of being obedient in that kind of way, outside of that, we are capable of reading and understanding and we should be obedient. Now, what happens is, not just with the word of God, and agreeing on scripture, but even being faithful. What happens is people get arrogant. 
people get afraid. People get indifferent, just like we talked about all those things this morning. And it gets in the way of our being faithful to God. We are thankful that we have a chance to be a priest, a special people, God's, a part of God's family, a part of the church. But notice here as well, as we are about to extend heaven's invitation as well, that just because we become a special people and we are baptized for the remission of our sins doesn't mean that's it. We've talked a lot on Wednesday night about checking the box. We're thankful when somebody puts on Christ in baptism, becomes a child of God, but that is something that we need to do. But that's not just a one-time checking the box and I move on and I'm done and I don't have to worry about it. God says, welcome into the family. I'll add you to my church and you can begin to live faithfully, but you must live faithfully and continue to be obedient. And we can even think about that as we think about the book of Isaiah for this month and in particular for this afternoon. Uh, we are thankful for your attendance and for your attention for just a few moments here as we thought about this lesson. Uh, sometimes the lessons flow very naturally into extending heaven's invitation. Sometimes it's not as easy. But certainly as we think about people who lived their lives and had a choice of whether or not to be obedient to God, we'll be singing this song in just a moment to encourage you, ask you, if you are obedient, have you been washed in the blood of Christ? If not, why not? There is no better day. It may be dreary outside. It may not be the most exciting day for us in an in earthly sense, but it can be a great day. And we have already enjoyed that once today. And we're thankful for uh, Karen and for her encouragement of us. If you're here this afternoon and you are a child of God, but you have wandered away, uh, you don't have to leave with that dreariness sort of hanging over you in a sense. You don't have to leave with that worry on your head. Uh, in your mind because of knowing that well maybe there's just something not right maybe I'm not as faithful as I should be maybe there's sin in my life we're thankful that God has blessed us with this moment again to sing a song of encouragement that through its words we might sing to encourage one another to either become a Christian or come back to him but to make your life right with God even now as we stand together and as we sing <laughs>